fall 2007, and Colonel Greg Gadsden is watching the New York Giants play on TV. Colonel Gadsden has loved football since his childhood and played Division I in college before embarking on a career in the Army. But he's not watching the game from his house or a base or overseas. He's watching it from a bed at Walter Reed Hospital. Four months earlier, Colonel Gadsden had been involved in an IED accident that led to the loss of both of his legs. The recovery had been tough, but one of the things that helped him was hearing from fellow soldiers and old football teammates. One such teammate, Mike Sullivan, happened to be a coach for the New York Giants. And uh, he said, was there anything else he could do? I said, well, when you guys come to town, I'd love to see you play. And he says, sure, no problem. So sure enough, uh, third game of the season. Sullivan kept that promise a few weeks later, but days before the game, he called Gadsden for a favor. He said, you know, Greg, I don't know if you're following our progress, but we're not playing well. I'd like to know if you'd be willing to uh, to talk with the team. There's a teammate asking me to do something, and, and I said, sure. Colonel Gadsden wasn't quite sure what to say, though. My wife is driving me to link up with the Giants, and she's asking me, what I'm going to say, I've got a blank three by five card in my hand. And um, when he got to the locker room, he looked around and he thought of his fellow soldiers who had done everything they could to keep him alive in the minutes and hours after the attack. I told the story of, of being wounded and how my teammates came to my rescue. And, uh, and I mean, just in a very matter-of-fact way, and and I share that with them. And ultimately, uh, the Giants would win that game on a, on a two-down goal-line stand. They would go on an 11-game win streak. That talk inspired the Giants players. And Colonel Gadsden, who was still in recovery, became an honorary co-captain of the team. And the night before the Super Bowl after practice, I asked the coach if I could talk with the team. I told them if I could be anywhere else in the world right now, it would be back with my soldiers in in Iraq. But uh, I know that's not possible, but I told them that I would take every single one of them with me um, because I had watched you all become a team. And so we won Super Bowl 42, and I was um, I was honored with the, the same ring the players got. And then just to make sure that no one thought it was a fluke, we did it again at Super Bowl 46. On May 7th, 2002, Colonel Greg Gadsden was returning from the memorial service of two soldiers in Iraq when he was a victim of an IED attack. His body was thrown into the air, and his fellow soldiers had to find him, resuscitate him, and get him to the hospital. He died six times that night, but doctors saved him. Months and years of grueling rehabilitation followed, but not once did Colonel Gadsden lose faith, thanks to the help of his family, friends, teammates, football, and photography. 
In today's episode, our hosts sit down with Colonel Gadsden to discuss how his love of football led to an exemplary 25-year Army career, how photography calms him, and how his relationship with the New York Giants led him to a new career as an actor. I'm Carrie Varuhaikis, and this is Army Matters. Hello, everyone. I'm Lieutenant General Retired Leslie Smith, and I'm here today with my good battle buddy. Introduce yourself, sir. Well, hey, Les. Thanks for bringing me on the show with you today. Could always well, be here uh, with you. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, I'm Dan Daly. I'm the co-host with the 66th Inspector General. That's right. We have a lot of fun. And today, I got some questions to ask you. Can I go first this time? Sure. Why not? So, so Dan, are you a fan of football? Did you play football growing up? Not on a team. I played basketball, but I played, you know, my friends, you know, every day. I'd love yeah. to play football. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I played it at high school level. Oh, wait, wait. Let's break that down just quick. What, yeah. what position did you play? What position? I was I was actually a, a defensive end and a free safety. Wow. An okay athlete. I, I grew into myself later. Yeah. I think it's all those pull up and push ups that helped me grow. Well, you're not a small guy. You must have hurt. Not. Some, you must have hurt some people out on the field there. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. No, uh. I, I would say I, I'm a I'm a late bloomer. You know, like you're an early bloomer. I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> I, don't know if I, I had to figure you. figure. Out. Yeah, you haven't bloomed yet. <laughs> no, Are you still blooming? So. What? I don't okay. know if I'm gonna bloom. Okay. So our guest today, you actually have a personal connection, right? You know, sometimes you meet people and immediately there's a connection. Yeah, and that's the case with uh, with our guest today. And the first time I met him, I think it was at Fort Belvoir at some event. And so everyone gathers around him, and then once you start talking to him and you hear his story, you're like, wow. And you've gone through this and you're still this way. He's an affable, likable guy. You know, in the National Capital Region, we go to a lot of different things. And if I was there, he was there. If he was there, I was there. I was like, Greg, are you following me? Uh, and then so we just we just developed a friendship from there. Sounds like a guy with a lot of humility and he really cares. Yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. He does. Well, why don't you introduce our guest? Since you have a personal connection. Sure. Why don't you bring him on the show? Today's guest started out their career loving football, and he actually played at the college level, but he chose to join the Army instead. And he's had an inspiring career, both in uniform and outside of uniform. Colonel Retired Greg Gatson, welcome to Army Matters. What an honor and pleasure it is to, to be here with you all. Now, Greg, before we get into football, your Army career, and everything else, I want to talk about something else something that you're really passionate about, photography. Can you tell us how you got into it? Photography has actually been one of my lifelong uh, passions, um, you know, buried underneath this, this, uh, this facade or this exterior of, you know, football player, you know, soldier. Oh, don't, 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 don't give it all out yet. Come on. Just, just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit, little bit. I, I am a <laughs> photographer at, at heart. Okay. In fact, um, one of the things that I thought about being when I grew up after I retired, if I didn't, you know, get wounded was to, right. to literally be a, a, a photojournalist. Okay. Um, I love to travel and I love to, you know, people write, people speak, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they communicate in all sorts of ways. And photography is that medium for me. Now, Greg, did you take any photos while you were deployed? I actually got honorable mention in a Department of Defense uh, photo contest as a second lieutenant for a picture I took during the first Gulf War. And then I have, uh, I took pictures in Afghanistan. I took some in Iraq. I took pictures in all my deployments. So what was the photo that you won for? It was a picture that I took uh, during the ground war. And we had, uh, we were in an occupied position and we were shooting and and you, I'm not sure if you're familiar with an eight art, artillery piece. I know uh, General Smith's probably seen them, but it's just an angry beast of a of a gun. So um, I caught an, a nice action shot of a of an artillery piece in action, and I called the photo "Reach out and touch someone." If you remember the AT and T commercials back then, that's where I I kind of borrowed the phrase. Well, Greg. Over the years, you've been able to reach out and inspire a lot of soldiers. And I'd love to get into that by starting at the very beginning. Tell us how you began your journey at West Point. So I had it all figured out. I was going to get a, a Division One scholarship and, and play football for four years in college. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to get drafted. And, and I was ultimately going to be part of a, a championship team. Okay. I did very well. And in, uh, in fact, uh, University of Virginia had had offered me a scholarship and and my plan was coming together. And then at the last uh, possible minute, they had other plans. And uh, I was uh, devastated. I was infuriated. I was all the above. And I didn't have a place to go. And um, a football recruiter named Ted Gill had come to my high school, not to recruit me, but uh, a classmate, a teammate of mine named Tracy Branch. Mm -hmm. And my coach, uh, John Duke suggested that uh, they take a look at me, and and I was the bonus. I was the strap hanger on a mm-hmm. on a on official visit up to West Point, and uh, I didn't know what West Point was. Okay, I heard of the Army Navy game, but I never made that connection. So anyway, um, I simply asked, "Do they play Division One football?" And they said, "Yep." That was all I needed to hear, and I would just figure out the the rest. Okay. You know, you play football. You played all four years at West Point? Yes, sir. Yep. Okay, so what position did you play? I was a very undersized uh, outside linebacker, um, okay. you know, in two-point stance, uh, 5'11 and a half, 195 pounds. Oh, wow. You know, t- taking on uh, primarily uh, tight ends and sometimes offensive tackles. Yeah, yeah, wow. So, Greg, while at West Point, you studied Arabic, right? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? We didn't have exactly formal majors, as you think, but my field of study was Middle Eastern history. And and I took a couple years of Arabic as well. Okay. And so you used to get help from a particular specialist? <laughs> who, who was that specialist? I think I know this story, but I want everybody to hear it. I had a classmate, Kim Thomas, that I had some feelings for. And she happened to be... Uh, 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 taking Arabic, but she was one year behind. And, you know, there weren't a lot of Arabic speakers. And I talked her into uh, helping me practice my Arabic. Mm. And I told her that I liked her in Arabic. Okay. And uh, and do you know that she got up and walked out of the room? And, no, she uh, did. And uh, us never to speak again for almost an entire year. Okay. Yeah. So. 
Dan, you notice he's stumbling all over this, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I was stumbling. Well, you know, yeah, so yeah. And we're, we're we're running this, man. <laughs> okay. A year later, um, with the assistance of of her roommate, they mm-hmm. uh, talked me into going out to a movie, and and lo and behold, my my recruited Arabic tutor mm-hmm. was. Uh, my future bride. So, oh. so I, I like to say that she saw the light. Oh. <laughs> she felt sorry I bet for the you. Story is a little too. bit different if we had if we had her on the show. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe we'll have yeah. her on and give her. Yeah, yeah we could do that. Do on, on the splice that into. No, her no, 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 no. I, th- no? I think I, no? I think that's pretty clear. You did. Yeah. Is that pretty yeah. accurate? Okay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, Greg, you originally thought that you were going to be a five and fly guy. Yep. Do your time. Go home. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Why did you change your mind along the way? So I, I had never imagined myself as a career army officer. And I, I had a motto of five and fly. I was going to do my five years and, and then move on to something else. Presumably, uh, that had to do with football. I wanted to be a coach and, and, and I loved history. I thought I imagined myself as a, as a high school history teacher and, and a football coach and and now in my second assignment, uh, after going to the, uh, the advanced course, I'm stationed at, at then Fort Bragg, now Fort Liberty, um, and I'm assigned to the 82nd Airborne Division Artillery. My first assignment, I was in a core support heavy artillery unit. I was in an 8-inch artillery battalion. Oh, my God. And I am now in the 82nd Airborne Division in a, in a light artillery battalion. You couldn't have any more stark experiences. Yeah. And I remember getting there just thinking, these people are nuts. I say the long story short is uh, through some great mentors like uh, Major General Retired Rodney Anderson. And oh, yeah. General Larry Guattardi and, and so many uh, super paratroopers. I fell in love with soldiering. So, Greg, um, your life changed forever on May of 2007. Can you tell our listeners about that day? I'd say the irony of that evening was that I was uh, I was heading back to my headquarters after attending a, a memorial service for two soldiers that, that were killed by uh, an IED a few days earlier in a sister battalion from Fort Riley. Uh, First Lieutenant Ryan Jones and Special uh, Sunson were, were killed. And I think the thing that I will always kind of remember about that night was that I was just personally introspective about, you know, the sacrifice of these young men and and their families and whether or not we were making a difference over there. It just, uh, in May and that time in 07 in Iraq, it it seemed that uh, every day a U.S. service member was paid in full measure. And uh, so I'm in a four-vehicle patrol heading back to my my base, and that's when I got hit. And um, where were you serving in Iraq at that time, Greg? Uh, I was in Baghdad. You remember the surge uh, brigades that President Bush directed? And I think I was in the second. So we got up there pretty early and and uh, I was, you know, still violent. I was working in kind of western Baghdad. My battle space were these two areas that paralleled uh, Route Irish called Hatin and Yarmouk, uh, just north of it. And I was hit in, uh, in an area that was just south of uh, it. Uh, of my AO because the memorial service had been on Fob Falcon. 
Route Irish that Greg mentioned was one of the most dangerous routes in Iraq and that whole area. And you're right. I was there in 07, 09. Um, and a very, very dangerous time. Uh, there was a Sunni Shia uprising, almost a civil war going on between the two religious factions there and uh, day-to-day contact with the enemy. So, And, and Greg, w- what happened as a result when that IED hit your vehicle? You know, the blast, it, it actually blew me out of my vehicle. So I was not to be uh, immediately found when my vehicle stopped. Uh, First Sergeant Frederick Johnson, who was uh, at at the time, my acting command sergeant major, he was the one that uh, identified that I was missing and and ultimately located me and and began to resuscitating me. And and a young chemical soldier by MOS, uh, Eric Brown, would put the tourniquets on my legs. Um, ultimately, uh, the, the doctors uh, that evening gave him credit for saving my life. You know, long story short is that uh, ultimately I would lose both my legs not right away. I, I, in fact, went through 129 pints of blood that night, Sergeant Major, and, and died six times. Um, I would lose my legs uh, once I got back to the States and then, uh, you know, began recovering and, and trying to figure out life as a, as a double above the knee amputee. You talked about you died six times, you lost so much blood, um, but you you said that, God, please don't let me die. How, how, can you describe that to our listeners and, and, and the thoughts and feelings you were going through at that time? I knew it was an IED, and I've been in a minor one before, and so you just, you know. Yeah. And so it's got to be in a matter of, of seconds, but you go from being hot and pissed off to to recognizing that. A, I am hurt and I'm seriously hurt and this is not good because um, I couldn't move. And you know, how do you measure your your spiritual strength? How do you how do you know how how strong your faith is? I, I don't know. I don't know how to measure it. But Sergeant Major, I believe it was. I know it was strong enough for me to, for 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 my last thoughts, and my last prayer, to ask God to save me. That was where my last thoughts was, God, I do not want to die here. And Greg, you mentioned you went through uh, a long recovery, and you, you, when you came back to the States, um, you lost your legs. Yep. Um, what was your darkest moment during that recovery? What, what, what was your biggest challenge during that period? Well, um, I think the biggest challenge is you're a father, you're a husband, you're a soldier. And, and, mm-hmm. and for, for a minute, all of that is is unsettled. And what I say is, is that um, my life was a blank slate. I did not know. And I didn't have any confidence about even what my expectations were going to be, what my dreams should be. Those things made it difficult to want to engage, to want to participate, to want to go on. as a member of AUSA, you have access to many benefits. From car rental to entertainment discounts, the opportunities are ample. Visit AUSA.org benefits to learn more. Welcome back to Army Matters. Now, Greg, 
Can you tell us about the role your family played in your recovery? Well, my family was uh, undoubtedly the uh, the backbone of, of uh, thinking about just getting back and whether I ever would see him again. You know, being in that moment where you just, you don't know. And then um, their unconditional love. My, my kids were 13 and 14, so my... My son was in uh, in the seventh grade, and my daughter was in the ninth grade. Mm-hmm. They were plucked out of school because school wasn't even out. Mm-hmm. Their lives turned upside down. You know, we talk about our army credentials being our families. We don't take it for granted, um, but I will tell you, America does because America they don't know what we do, and they don't know what what our families are asked to do. And uh, and I'll never have an appreciation of it, but um, to have families, whether peace or wartime, have to deal with those kinds of things is um, you're asking a lot. Yeah, I was in a position, honestly, that I couldn't do a thing for myself. You know, our military did not have caregivers. Our military did not have rehab facilities because why? We got rid of them after Vietnam because we said we'd never get involved in counterinsurgencies. Guess what? We got not one but two. Mm-hmm. And and so our country asked um, our families to, to stop what they're doing and take care of people like me. My family's unconditional love, they didn't treat me any differently. I was still dad. I was still a husband and my kids didn't try to hide me. They didn't try to not be seen in public with, with me because, because I couldn't do a thing for myself. That was incredibly supporting um, because it allowed me to focus on my recovery. I wasn't worried about losing my family. I could focus on what my task at hand and that was healing. Mm-hmm. And they had my back. Yeah. It's a it's a tough challenge, right? I mean, so, of course, I, I didn't go through that, but having to deal with a lot of the combat wounded soldiers, you know, it's a, it's a big life shift. You know, you got you to gotta go in a different direction. And you've done an incredible one, and Les is going to talk about that. But before I hand it over to Les, you decided to continue to be a soldier, even despite the incredible um, tragedy you went through. Um, but the army determined you to be unfit to serve. You know, how and why did you fight that? I think before I even knew about the mechanics of what I needed to do, as I started to take inventory of myself, I said I was still a soldier. And I didn't think of myself any other way. You know, I was senior, uh, I mean, lieutenant colonel, and my rhetorical question was, my, the Army wasn't paying me for how fast I could run. My value, I felt, was, you know, what was here in my heart and what was in my, my head. And so it was, first it was, oh, you're going to be medically retired. And then next it was, oh, we're going to ship you off to some, up to West Point. You can be an instructor. And I'm like, no, that's not me. And I said, I'll do anything but I'm a soldier, and, and, I, and I, I refuse to let anyone define me other than that. Yeah. 
Now, we already heard about the story of you earning not one, but two Super Bowl rings for helping the New York Giants. But I think that affiliation also led to another career for you, acting. Now, how do you go from winning Super Bowl rings to acting? Sir, it's a continued line of uh, blessings. Peter Berg, the director of the movie, uh, a New Yorker and a lifelong New York Giants fan, and uh, whose father is a, uh, was a uh, Marine, called me up while I was doing my War College Fellowship at the Institute of World Politics and, and asked me if I, would, if I would be in the movie. And, uh, you know, my, my attitude in life was, what do I got to lose? If I, you know, so I just took it on. And uh, it kind of worked out pretty good. The movie's called Battleship. It's in 2012. Every now and then when I want to get fired up, I watch it. And I, I see uh, I see Greg in there doing this thing. And so you've done other other acting parts uh, before too, haven't you? Yep. I, uh, I got to work briefly uh, with um, uh, Denzel Washington and, and a journal for Jordan. And, uh, and then I was in this uh, educational series called The Inspectors. I did 10 episodes of, of that. And uh, and this past season, I did a couple episodes of uh, NCIS Los Angeles. So, so Dan, have you been on NCIS Los Angeles before? I have not. I'm like, I'm getting amazed here. NCIS. <laughs> we need to get an yes. autograph. Send us an autograph. But this is what we're going to yeah. talk about. So, so you've also, now you're an author. Yep. Can you tell us a little bit more about your book, Waypoints, A Warrior's Journey Toward Peace and Purpose? So uh, I, I go real lightly on the author part. I'm a co-author. Sure. Therese Slochter. I give the undying line support for, for putting together the book. It's named Waypoints uh, because um, life is about the journey, not the destination. And our waypoints, uh, the waypoints lay out our journey. It's just, a, it, and obviously it's a, it's a military navigational term, you know, uh, really particular to uh, my branch as an as a red leg, as an artilleryman, because um, you got to hit your waypoints. And so what I think to me, what it does is it, it reiterates that we have to live our life. We have to be where we're at. You know, I say doing the small stuff, you know, there, there are no big things in life. You know, big things are just a bunch of small things. And if you do the small things right, the big things take care of themselves. And, and, and uh, just staying focused and, and, and living and being where you're at. Greg, I'll tell you what, it has been an absolute honor and privilege to be able to spend some time with you today uh, to share the same uniform as a gentleman like you have worn. Um, and to hear your words and your inspiration is just incredible. So thanks for coming on the show with us today. Thank you, Sergeant Major. It's an honor. It's an honor to, to be here on, on Army Matters. Last October, I roamed the busy exhibit halls of AUSA's annual meeting and spoke with a number of attendees, many of whom gave shout outs to members of the Army family that have made an impact on their lives. Here's one of them. My name's Matt Stern. I'm a retired Lieutenant Colonel um, from Illinois. That's where I grew up. I now live in Virginia. I retired here in 2008. My shout out would be to uh, retired Major General John Davis, 
who was my commander and the uh, most bestest uh, army officer I ever served with. I think uh, it's kind of humorous. Uh, I hadn't watched uh, The Office ever. And one day I came into work and he said, hey, Matt, have you watched The Office? And I said, no, sir, I, I, I haven't. And he said, well, my inspiration to be a great a leader, it comes from Michael Scott. And so I went home and I watched it and I, I couldn't watch an episode because it's so the opposite of who he really is, everything about him. He is the epitome of a military professional and an officer and uh, it just inspired me every day. If you would like to give a shout out to someone in the Army family, leave us a voicemail at 703-236-2914 or email a voice note to podcast at AUSA.org. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Army Matters is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission, educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and supporters of a strong national defense. Today's episode was hosted by Lieutenant General Retired Les Smith and SMA Retired Dan Daly, and anchor hosted by Carrie Barrow Heckes. Anthony Dale Call is the producer and writer, and Andy Bosnack is the supervising sound editor. Ellen Toner is the content editor. Unzinga Curry is the executive producer, and the senior producers are Carrie Barrow Heckes and LaSharon Duncan. Be sure to subscribe to Army Matters wherever you get your podcasts and please leave a review. As you know, we love seeing stars in the Army, especially if it comes in the form of a five-star review. AUSA's Army Matters podcast can also be heard on Reads Across America Radio on Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on the iHeartRadio app, the Odyssey app, and the TuneIn app with the search of the word Reef. AUSA's Army Matters podcast's primary purpose is to entertain. The podcast does not constitute advice or services. While guests are invited to listen, listeners, please note that you're not being provided professional advice from the podcast or the guest. The views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of AUSA. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. I'm Will Sharon Duncan. Hope you have a great Army day. Hooah.